Hello, and welcome to Character in Action, a new podcast from the Seven Degrees of Change Foundation. My name is Matthew J. Norcross, and I'll be your host as we have the privilege of talking with decision makers from our community who are living examples of character traits from the seven degrees of change, which are empathy, respect, responsibility, fairness, trustworthiness, caring, and citizenship. These guests are willing to come in and explain how they live and show others by example to be a phoenix. These character traits serve as a basis of a book series I authored of the same name, as well as a correlating character education curriculum developed in association with High Point University. We appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. You're here because you're a living example of character and action. Now, before we get started, can you please tell our listeners more about yourself? So I grew up in the mountains of Western North Carolina. I grew up in a, I would say, a good family, a good home. Had a dad that worked hard, a mom that worked hard. And uh, one of the important things that my mom made sure happen is that uh, we spent a lot of time in church. So basically, uh, Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, uh, in church, learning those kind of things. I ended up, uh, when I was in high school, meeting a woman named Martha. Just a wonderful, wonderful woman. We became high school sweethearts, and then we got married. And uh, after that, uh, we both went to Clemson University. Uh, we uh, ended up going to law school at Norman Adrian Wiggins School of Law at Campbell University, and graduated from there. And uh, been practicing law ever since. I've also been called into the ministry, uh, so I. Uh, preach often. I'm the pastor of Parish Memorial Baptist Church out in Selma, North Carolina, and uh, really enjoy that. It's it's not always easy labor, but it's always sweet labor. And I've got five kids, love them very much, and try to instill uh, good values of character in them. How do you define character? You know, character can be good or it can be bad. Uh, I think character is really the outward manifestation of what we've got on the inside. Right. Uh, so if you if you have what is good and what is right on the inside, then you're on on the outside. You're going to show good character. Character is something that people can see, but they see it through your actions. You can't just look at somebody and tell if they've got good character or not. But if they've got uh, if they've got what's right on the inside, they're going to manifest that through their actions that they do. They're going to do what's right. They're going to be helpful to other people. They're going to be uh, pleasant with other people. And right. that, that just is what the very essence of character is. That's awesome. So um, please tell us a story of witnessing either in person or in history, someone that was a true Phoenix, someone that was a role model, leading by example and making the world a better place. Let's say I would give an example from history. Uh, so a man named Polycarp, way yeah. back in the first century AD. And what Polycarp uh, did is he was a disciple, most likely of the Apostle John. And so John sat under Jesus, Polycarp sat under John. Uh, so this would have been the very uh, early parts of the second century AD, end of the first century AD. Gotcha. And he was very influential. Uh, he was a bishop. Uh, he would preach. He would teach. He'd gotten very old in age, and uh, he'd been uh, just so influential in spreading uh, the gospel and then also spreading uh, just 
if you will, good character uh, to so many people. Uh, but the Roman government really wanted him gone. And he would not turn away from what his core beliefs were. He stood strong in his core beliefs because that was the essence of his character. That was who he was, uh, was someone that had been, uh, had been born again, had been saved by uh, Christ, and then he uh, was going to live that out. And so when they finally captured him and they finally arrested him, uh, they took him in to execute him. And when they went to execute him, they said, um, just if you, if you will just renounce everything that you believe in and just say that Caesar is Lord, uh, then you can live. And his answer was uh, along the lines of 87 years, I have served God. Why would I turn back on him now? And they executed him right there. And I think a lot of people gained strength from that because it was a heavy time of persecution of Christians. But him standing strong, even in the face of death, they saw that character and they were able wow. to, uh, to c- continue to, to live, even going through that. Uh, that horrible persecution, they stood strong because they had saw their leader did the same. Yeah, that's a very, that's an amazing story right there. So let's move on. Share with us a moment that stands out in your mind, something big or even the slightest gesture that was transformative Phoenix more. One where you know it has significant impact on an individual's life or yeah, I could think about some of the families that I'd helped in in the legal field uh, or some of the families I'd helped through pastoral ministry. But I think probably the biggest one that sticks out in my mind is there was a uh, a young man uh, named Bert who had been horribly abused in a uh, adult care home. Uh, he had just been horribly abused. And his mother contacted us. This was when I was working for Lieutenant Governor Dan Forrest. And she contacted us, named Lori, very, very sweet lady. And she contacted us and she said, I think I found a problem with the law. Uh, there is no requirement that when somebody witnesses abuse or suspects abuse in an adult care facility, uh, that they, you know, in, a, in an adult group home, that there's no requirement that the person report that anywhere. And it turned out that the same person that had that had you know just horribly abused uh, Bert, they had done the same thing to other people, and other employees saw it, but not wanting to get in trouble and not having any legal requirement to actually report that, they didn't report it. And so we worked together, worked with with uh, Bert, and also worked with his mom, and worked with many legislature legislators, and we got. Uh, Burt's Law passed, which made it mandatory for employees uh, that worked at adult group homes or adult care facilities, if they saw any kind of abuse going on, that they would have to report that uh, so that we could stop it from happening anymore and and to get these bad actors away from those kind of places. And to see just the joy uh, that uh, Burt and Lori saw that through all the heartache that they had gone through, uh, to see that uh, that there was at least some purpose in that, and that purpose was going to be that others may not suffer uh, that same kind of abuse, I think was uh, you know one of the most rewarding times uh, that I've had in my career. Well, that's an amazing story. So um, let's start with 
respect. Now, this is a crucial trait in business and in life. And my first question is, how do you think we can rekindle the trait and lost star of respect today? It is not going to be very often that I will say people should be more like lawyers. I mean, it's just usually <laughs> what I'm going to say is be more like a lawyer. Uh, but one of the things that I love about the practice of law, and this isn't true in every scenario, but it's true in almost every scenario, is is two lawyers can go in. We can, you know, law is generally, especially when you're in the courtroom, it's a zero-sum game. Either you're going to lose or you're going to win, right? And that means that right. on the other side, if you win, somebody else is lost. And so it, it's high stress. And, and you really, I mean, you're really going at it sometimes in the courtroom. But what I loved is that we can finish the hearing and then we can go get lunch and we can talk about life and we can laugh and we can respect each other as people, even though we had differing views uh, on that right. case. And I mean, so it was like, you know, we were at each other's throats 30 minutes ago, but now here we are, you know, laughing at hamburger. And that's something that I think uh, we have lost, especially in politics. Uh, I mean, there's so many people now that are like, you know, I can't even I can't even talk to that person. They're a Republican or I can't even talk to that person if there's a Democrat. But what we have to realize is that we are more than just that as human beings, that we we can still have relationships with people. A great example of that exactly is Antonin Scalia and Ruth Bader Ginsburg, uh, both, you know, in their own rights, great Supreme Court justices, uh, Scalia, very conservative. Ginsburg, very liberal, but, and, and they, you know, on all the big issues of the day, they never agreed with each other, but they were almost always split on the big issues of the day and the big issues that came before the court, but they considered each other best friends uh, because they, they, you know, just had that respect. And so respect can override even some ideology that we have. And I think that's a wonderful thing. Yeah, it is. A is it, it is a great thing for sure. So let's move on. You've had s- several large responsibilities working as a general counsel and then chief of staff for the office of the lieutenant governor with your prior, prior and current career being practicing attorney and judicial clerk. And in those jobs, you've had big responsibilities. How do you manage your responsibilities as an attorney and how did you manage them working for Dan Forrest as a pat as a pastor? Yeah. So the first thing, if you're going to take responsibilities, you can't be scared of hard work. Uh, you're going to have to. You're going to have to work hard. Uh, you're going to have to, you know, put in long hours. And it's always a balancing act, right? Because I've, I had yeah. you know, a lot of responsibilities with the lieutenant governor's office. I had a have a lot of responsibilities as a pastor, but I've also got a lot of responsibilities as a father and a husband. Uh, and so I need to do those things uh, and make sure that I'm working hard at those too. And so uh, responsibility first comes down to hard work, and then it's just the grit to get it done, right? Right, to, to actually to take the time and to do what you need to do. And, and that's really where responsibility comes in. Uh, we've all been given you know, a lot of responsibility, not to, you know, quote, uh, you know, Uncle Ben from Spider-Man, but with great power comes great responsibility. And, and some of the, yeah, I and mean, some of the positions that I've been in, uh, there has been a lot of, you know, power, maybe not even, maybe not direct power, but a lot of influential power. 
And so you have to understand that with that comes responsibility. And with that responsibility, what you have to do is make sure that you're going to work hard and that you're going to, you know, do things in the right way and do them with character. It's a great story. All right. So let's move on to fairness. How would you define fairness? And how would you want people to demonstrate this trait, both in their professional lives and in their personal lives? So the motto that is on the Supreme Court of North Carolina, on the seal of the Supreme Court, is sum suque tribure, which is Latin. And the best we can tell, it means to each his own. And I think that's what fairness is about, that each, each, that you treat each person with respect and that you let actions be determinative of what happens rather than, uh, some innate characteristic, uh, that, that's beyond somebody's control. And so I think that's a lot about being fair is that you, you know, you're going to, you're going to treat people uh, with respect. You're going to treat people equally. Uh, and that you're going to let the facts make determinations of, of how things go, right? It's the, you know, I know we're probably going to talk about trustworthiness here in a little while, but if you, you know, I'm going to assume that you're telling the truth at first, right? I'm going to treat you fairly, but then found out you'd lied to me two or three times. Well, you know, then the fair thing for me to do is to take everything you say with a grain of salt. And so I think that's, you know, that's just part of fairness is that it comes with, ex, you know, with experience and basically making sure that no matter what other people do, that you do what's right and you do what's right in the way that you treat them. Truer words could never have been spoken. I agree with you 100% on that. That's for sure. So let's move on to trustworthiness. By the way, Dan Forrest, he was a guest on the show previously. And I told him when he was on the show that the trait of trustworthiness had become yeah, another lost arm, especially in our government and at our institutions. How do you, as an attorney, define and live out trustworthiness? And more importantly, how do you instill the knowledge? I think, you know, let's remember what Pilate said to Jesus. He said, right. what is true, right? Little did he know that he was looking truth directly in the face, right? Because Jesus had said that he was true. And so that's really where our uh, foundation of truth comes from, the whole idea that we have subjective, uh, you know, that there is only subjective uh, morality. Uh, But no, we have objective morality and objective truth. And I think, you know, one of the things that I've always tried to do is I've always tried to tell the truth. I'll give you a little story that that always uh, kind of, uh, that I always remember, even if I think about not telling the truth, this comes back to mind. When I was in first grade, we used to get ice cream uh, at the end of one of the days of school. And we had to take, you know, I'm, I'm old, so it was like 35 cents to get a Mickey Mouse ice cream, cone ice cream. And so we, I was always so excited about that. And one day I came home from school and I told my mom, I said, can I get a snack? And she said, uh, didn't you have ice cream at school today? And I said, uh, no, uh, we didn't get ice cream today. So she told me, okay, well, you can have a snack then. So she gives me, I'm sure it's a little Debbie, probably a no cream pie or something like that. And I ate that and I thought, man, that was really easy. Well, a few minutes later, she goes, oh, by the way, um, I need the 
the money back for your ice cream since you didn't get ice cream today. And I said, you're not going to believe this, uh, Mama, but uh, the teacher took my money, uh, but didn't give me the ice cream. And I said, okay, well, that's uh, she, she said, she said, oh, okay, okay. So I didn't think anything of it, thought I got away with it. The next morning, I, I got up and my mom said, here's a note uh, that I want you to give your teacher. And she needs to write me a note back. Uh, this was right before I got on the bus. And so she handed me the note and I opened it up to read it. And it said, please explain to me why you took Steven's money for ice cream, but didn't give me, give me, give him any ice cream. And I looked at my mom because I knew I was got then. And I turned to her and I said, I'm sorry, I lied. We really did get the ice cream. Well, my mom uh, is a strong believer in the scripture that says, if you spare the rod, you spoil the child. And she already had the hickory switch uh, up on the uh, refrigerator ready for when I confessed. And she took it down and she gave me a nice thank you, uh, told me, don't you ever lie to me again. And then I got to ride the school bus uh, sobbing all the way to the school bus because I told lies. So I have said, and it, it is actually true, if I even think about telling a lie, I can start to feel my legs burn from that switch uh, one more time. And so I don't do it. And I think uh, that's something you, you have to instill trust yeah. children, even from a young age. Be like, look, we have to tell you because if, if we're not telling the truth, then we're not operating off the same. Uh, facts were operating off of falsehoods. And, and that's one of the things that irritates me about the current political climate. And, and you had mentioned the political climate. I, you have uh, these fact checkers now. And I have seen some of the most blatant falsehoods come from fact checkers. Uh, and the reason I know is because that may have been a meeting or something that I was involved with. And then I see their fact check and they say that that was false. But I saw it with my eyes and heard it with my ears, right? And so I, I know that it's there. And uh, so I, I always say, you know, you need to test the truth uh, yourself. You need to you need to test it, and you need to test what people tell you. Uh, Ronald Reagan put it great. He said, "Trust but verify," and that's what we need to do because there's so many people in this world uh, that you know trustworthiness is a lost art. People just don't want to tell the truth, and uh, and then a lot of times. Trustworthiness also goes back to responsibility, where you ask people to do things, and uh, they tell you they're going to do them, and then they don't do it. And and that's uh, that's just really a breakdown in responsibility. And that only has to happen a few times before we decide then uh, that we're not going to trust that person uh, with any kind of responsibility. Never thought that before. Trustworthiness um, going together with responsibility. Never thought of that, but it definitely works. That's for sure. So um, let's move on to citizenship. Let's move on to caring, actually. Um, how do you demonstrate caring as an attorney? And how did you demonstrate it at the lieutenant governor's office on the during Dan's administration and how you do it as, as a pastor? You know, and well, let's, let's take the last first. Let's, let's talk about in the pastoral area. You are with people at their highest highs, weddings, just had birth of a child, baby dedication, things like that. And you're also with people at their lowest lows when they're in the hospital, when they're on a ventilator, uh, when, they're, when you're at a funeral uh, with a loved one that just passed away. 
And so you have to learn how to show empathy and care, uh, that you have to learn how to sympathize with them and let them know that you're there for them. So, you know, it, it's something that really goes hand in hand in the pastoral role on, on the legal side of things and the political side of things. Right. Uh, on the legal side of things, you're generally uh, helping people when they're at their worst, right? I've been charged with a crime. I'm going through a divorce. Divorce and, and I'm going to have a nasty custody battle uh, with my wife or with my husband over these kids. Or, you know, uh, I remember one uh, with a, a lawyer that I was working with at one time had one that they, they decided what they were going to do as far as custody with kids, uh, but they were going to fight over who was going to get the ducks that lived in the pond. And that was going to be the big thing that they were going to fight about. And so, you know, you're with people in, in some of their toughest situations. And so, a lot of times just saying, look, I'm with you. Uh, one of the things I tell my clients is you have paid me now to worry about this. So you stop worrying about it. And I think that gives a lot of people comfort uh, to know that because you're with people in some of their stre- most stressful times. And so just showing uh, them that you care uh, the same way with, with kids, right? So my right. father got five kids. And one of the things that I do is I try to take interest in what they're interested in, right? Because I care about them. So when they, you know, they'll go on and they'll tell me something about some game that they're playing that I really have no idea what they're talking about. But what I want to do is I want to try my best to learn what it is they're talking about uh, so that I can understand it, so I can talk with them about it because I care about them. And I want them to understand that I care about them and that I love them. Very nice. It's a great story. Um, so let's move on to citizenship. What do you think it means as a as a public servant, as a pastor, to be a good citizen? I think it. I think it really goes down with a lot of the other things that we've already talked about. It goes. You know, we've got a responsibility to citizen. We've we've got a responsibility to vote and to vote in an informed way. I think everybody should vote as long as they're informed, right? If they're, you know, if they're not voting in an informed way and they're just going to walk in and, you know, randomly check boxes, oh, well, that sounds cool. I'm going to pick that name. Then I think they have a responsibility not to vote. Uh, and I think that's, you know, so that's, that's something as a citizen that we have that's probably, you know, one of our highest uh, responsibilities as citizens is to vote. We also have a responsibility to serve, uh, to take care of others, uh, to help those that are uh, least among us. I'm a big believer that that people and organizations and especially the church do a much better job of taking care of people and, and families do a much better job of taking care of people than the government does. And I think that that's part of our duty is as citizens as well. And so, you know, to, to really to be a citizen, you, know, you need to have good character and you need to have that work through uh, these other things that we've talked about. You need to be uh, trustworthy. You need to be caring. Uh, you need to be truthful. Right. And those things really, really flow into being a good citizen. Couldn't agree with you more. The, everything you laid out, just you just laid it out beautifully, in my opinion. So let's move on to empathy. How do you believe people across this state and this country should demonstrate empathy? And in your case, 
how do you demonstrate in your position as a lawyer? You had mentioned empathy earlier when you, whenever you were talking about caring. Well, and I think caring and empathy uh, go together. You know, empathy is a, is a feeling and, and caring is an action that goes with that feeling. Uh, you know, to show empathy, I, I don't want to turn a blind eye when I see a, see a need. Right. Right. I want to want to know that that if the Lord has given me a way to be able to help that person, that I'm going to help them. Um, it just I, I was driving. I, I think, you know, I like to drive my old 1987 real long Mercedes diesel. And because I drive that car around when you're driving around a 1987 car, that's got like 300 and something thousand miles on it. You keep tools in the trunk because there's going to be a time that you're going to need the tools to be able to get home. And uh, and so then, especially if I'm in that car, I see somebody that's broken down on the side of the road or somebody that's stuck in a parking lot. I'm going to pull over and try to help them because I want to empathize with them. And I think empathy uh, really goes to the golden rule, uh, you know, to, to do to others that you would have them do to you. And so... If I'm stuck and I need some help, I hope somebody will help me. And I've had people do that before. And on the other side, I, if I see somebody that needs help, I want to be able to help them. And I want to em- em- so I want to have empathy toward them. And, you know, a lot of that goes with, um, you know, in, in the pastoral role, uh, for instance. Uh, you know, when somebody in the congregation is hurting, we're, we're all hurting with them. When somebody else is rejoicing, we're all rejoicing with them. because. Uh, you know, we're part of the family of God, and so we we come together and and do those things, and we can do those in other groups as well. We can, you know, with with people that are our friends. Um, I had a, a situation just over the last uh, last week or so uh, where a good friend uh, lost his wife, and 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 it hurt. You know, it hurt me because I was having empathy towards him. You know, not that. Uh, you know, my loss was, of course, nothing compared to his, but I felt pain for him because I knew how much he was hurting. And there's just something that folks, human beings out when we know that somebody else is is hurting because we hurt, right? And, and that right. they're there for us. And I think that's an important thing. So showing empathy is very important. Yeah, very important for sure. Now, before we close... Please share with us some thoughts on how we can bring character back into our culture. Well, I think the first thing we're going to have to do is we're going to have to turn back. Uh, you know, I would love to see us turn back as a as a country and as a culture uh, back to God. Mm-hmm. And I think that I think that's first and foremost. I'll take it in baby steps if I have to. And I think one of the first things that we would have to say is. Get rid of this postmodern notion that there is no such thing as objective morality. Right. right? That there is no absolute truth. Uh, I like um, Frank Turek, a great apologist. He, uh, he says, uh, when somebody says there's no such thing as absolute truth, he always asks them back. He says, is that absolutely true? Uh, which just shows the fallacy of the, of the whole idea that, of course, there is absolute truth. And I think. When we have moved away from the idea that there is some standard of morality and there is some standard of character, that's when we started to see things really crumble down. We started to see people losing 
that character. It, it goes down to the foundations. Again, I talked about character, that character is just that outward manifestation of what's on the inside. And right. I think that, uh, you know, and the main thing that's on the inside is our brains and our minds to be able to think. And if we, you know, come to the conclusion that there is no such thing as absolute truth, there is no such thing as, as a true morality, there is no measuring stick, uh, then it's going to be hard for us to ever have a restoration of character in our culture. So that's the first thing I think we're going to have to do is to come back and say that, you know, that yes, there is absolute morality. Yes, there is absolute truth. And then I think eventually, if you work through that logically, you come to the point that God is the source of our absolute morality and our absolute truth. And then uh, we'll have character again. We definitely need, need to keep that in mind in this day and age, that's for sure. Stephen, thank you for joining us. It was an honor and a privilege to be able to speak with you today. All right, and thank you for listening. I'm Matthew J. Norcross, and always remember, everyone can be a phoenix.